0: Hosts Kai Rizdahl and Kimberly Adams untangle the headlines and help today make sense. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. One truism in business and life is that we need to adapt to stay relevant and survive. However, many of us in the companies we found and work for struggle with this. Are there key approaches and best practices we can follow to help us adapt and transform? Hello, I'm Matt Abrahams, and I teach strategic communication at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Welcome to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. Today, I am totally excited to chat with my friend and sometimes therapist, Rob Siegel, who is a lecturer of management at the GSB. In fact, Rob and I started at the GSB on the same day over a decade ago. Rob's teaching and research cover many topics, including the opportunities and challenges that technological change brings to companies, How Companies Combine Digital and Physical Solutions for Their Customers, Product Management and Product Development, as well as Financial Management for Entrepreneurs. While some of us at the GSB teach one or two different classes, Rob teaches five or six. Two of the most popular are The Industrialist's Dilemma and Systems Leadership. Rob recently published a book inspired by those two courses called The Brains and Brawn Company, How Leading Organizations Blend the Digital and the Physical. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for being here, and congrats on your new book.
1: Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. I guess I should say the doctor is in.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, start start charging me now. Uh, let's go ahead and get started here. People who know me well know that I love alliteration. So bravo to you and your brains and brawn model. Can you briefly walk us through the framework
1: Well, the two courses really look at what happens in a world when companies have to blend both digital and physical attributes for the products and services they deliver to customers, which at this point is almost every product Mm -hmm. and service that's made and sold. And so what we found in the over 70 companies that have visited us and that we've studied is that we found kind of five digital and five physical attributes or Mm -hmm. five brainy and five brawny attributes that really the winning companies seem to be focused on most or all of them. On the digital or brainy side, we had the the left hemisphere, the ability to use analytics in your business, but also the right hemisphere of your brain, how you manage creativity. We saw the amygdala, which is great companies had empathy towards employees and towards their customers and towards their ecosystem. You had the prefrontal cortex, how do you manage risk? And then finally, the inner ear. How do you balance what you make and where you and do internally and what you partner with people externally? And on the physical side, we saw companies, often incumbents, but even a lot of the new disruptors. You know, they got really good at using their spine for logistics for how they managed uh, the entire their entire business. Manufacturing has become increasingly important with additive manufacturing. The hands. How do we actually make things? We saw companies operate with muscles that scale on a global basis, be able to operate in many, many unique markets. We saw companies be able to um, have good, what I called hand-eye coordination, Mm -hmm. or drive and shape their ecosystems to get to what they want. And finally, companies that had great stamina, like that was the fifth of the brawny attributes, where they could survive over time through the ups and downs of running a company.
0: Well, I didn't know I was gonna have to be up on my anatomy to have this conversation (laughs) with you, but uh, I love love the metaphor and it helps. Uh, Is there a company or two that stands out as a good example of folks who, execute on this brains and bronze model of yours?
1: Well, we look in the book about 10 different companies mm-hmm. in each different area. And, and within within each area, we will look at two or three, but we do a deep dive on one. Perhaps the most obvious one that we can look at is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Amazon does an unbelievable job of giving us a great user interface for shopping online, as well as making sure the logistics go well, making sure the distribution goes well. Mm-hmm. You know, Another one, maybe from a disruptor standpoint, is the company 23andMe, mm-hmm. which uses saliva and software to give us you know, uh, understanding of our DNA and, you know, where we might be susceptible to diseases. And now they're using that for drug development and how they partnered with GSK, the British pharmaceutical company for manufacturing and distribution of drugs. So I, I think those are two companies, one an incumbent and kind of one a disruptor that are really doing some very interesting things.
0: That's awesome. So, hey, in your model, you know me, I'm a communication guy. What role does communication play in the brains and brawn framework you've defined?
1: I think perhaps the most important thing is we we talk about this notion of systems leaders and systems leaders are the people who have to understand how systems work in a world that blends digital and physical when everything's connected. You have to see how things are interacting with each other. You have to see how uh, your organization is interacting both internally and externally. And so what we found is that great systems leaders were really good at managing the narrative. One of the phrases that one of your previous guests, Jeff Immelt likes mm-hmm. to use is truth equals facts plus context. Hmm. And we found that great leaders were able to manage context for employees, for customers, for other members of their ecosystem so that people could understand how they were trying to shape the narrative. And so I think being a great communicator is critical in your written communication and your verbal communication in a world that's increasingly connected because there's so much input for everybody. You want to kind of control and shape uh, the messages that get out there.
0: And in, in your experience, is it just the leaders who are responsible for shaping that narrative or, or is it in the ecosystem that these companies exist in? Is, are there partnering and, and d- discussions and iterations on that narrative that help?
1: That's a great clarification. I define leaders, not just people in the C-suite and not just vice presidents, but leaders are anybody in the organization, managers, directors, and above who have to be really good at understanding. You might work in finance in an organization, but you really need to understand what's happening outside of the four walls of your company, what's happening with your suppliers, what's happening with your channel, and being able to communicate well with them and understanding what's happening. Communication is critical for every function inside of an organization, and that's what's different than the past. In the old days, you might have people who were extra internally focused and a bunch of uh, people in the company who might be internally focused now no matter what your job is you really have to understand the holistic picture of what's happening and what's going on and so therefore you're going to be communicating if every product's connected you're going to be hearing from your customers on an increasing basis and you might need to communicate back to them and so it's therefore not just a C-level requirement it's a requirement of every leader in the company leader broadly defined
0: Great. I'm, I'm using you for PR for my classes. That, that was fantastic. Of course, you know I agree that, that being able to communicate clearly is critical uh, just to function in your role, but also it sounds like to help your company uh, make sure that it, it, it's adjusting, adapting, and transforming as it goes. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question next. Uh, if you were advising leaders and employees at an established large company confronting the need to adapt and transform, what would be a couple bits of advice that you would give?
1: I think the first is understanding that which made the company great in the past. What are those successful things? And are those are things that are necessary in the future to be competitive? And if not, are you up to speed on how new technologies and new capabilities are changing the what's required to be competitive in the market so for example if you come from a manufacturing company mm-hmm. you might not necessarily understand all of the issues around what we sometimes refer to as the four a's artificial intelligence additive manufacturing analytics and automation and i would argue that every leader in an established company needs to be on the forefront of understanding how new technologies are going to impact all functions so like in my product management class mm-hmm. we have a whole discussion about how artificial intelligence is shaping how product management is done. And I'd say the next thing is, you know for, for somebody inside of a, a company, one of the questions Katrina Lake from Stitch Fix taught us was, she asks herself and her team every two years, if you were hiring yourself for your job today, would you pick yourself and your <laughs> resume? And that's a very scary comment. Sometimes you kind of have to sit back and say, oh, my goodness. Right. Am I the best person for my job? And if not, what are you going to do to like upgrade your skills or upgrade your capabilities so that you are the best person for the job? And so, you know, sometimes we're rewarded for how we grow and scale a company. And that's what worked in the past. Now we've got to be thinking, not only do we have to continue to deliver on those things, but how do we make sure we stay current in what's needed and required going forward for serving customers?
0: Wow. I mean, I think all of us could benefit by thinking about are, are we relevant? Are we developing the skills that we need to take things forward? That certainly is a motivation and, and an excellent uh, way of doing some reflection. Uh, a key theme across many of our podcast episodes has been to take time to reflect as to where you've been, where you are, and what you need to change and adjust to move forward. So thank you for echoing that. Now, allow me to ask the same question, but this time uh what advice would you give for a smaller newer company around what leaders and employees could do to adapt and
1: transform i would say learn from companies that have come before you without Mm -hmm. condescension uh you know in particular like nobody got on the cover of business week or a fortune excuse me you know by dealing with logistics and manufacturing and supply chain and yet (laughs) that's what makes a company operate well and often where customers will have the best experience. And so I think kind of, you know, in our sterile digital world that you and I come from in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't appreciate the hard, dirty, grungy work that comes from making companies run well and serving customers well. And I think that people could really benefit from understanding how do those functions work? And, you know, walk a factory floor. Does, you know, if you are in an upstart, in a digital upstart, do you understand how things get made and why things, you know, work well and don't work on a factory floor? And I think that appreciation for what I'll call the plumbing of an organization, Mm -hmm. uh, for for what makes things, you know, happen to kind of actually deliver things, not the sexy art, just the artificial intelligence. Can you understand well, that last mile to the customer? And can you help your team execute on it? You know, approaching that with a respect and an understanding of how hard that is that's i think something that the people in silicon valley and in digital upstarts could really learn from their uh, incumbent brethren
0: mm, again another another plea for reflection but this time at, at a very tactical level and and i agree i think in this the this valley where we live a lot of people don't think about those specific parts of an organization and really what helps to make them successful Now, I want to switch gears a little bit, and and, uh, I don't mean to make you blush, but you are truly a master teacher. I I have watched you teach in awe of of your ability. And you were among the first of us at the business school to jump headfirst into virtual teaching. And many of us now find ourselves in the roles of meeting facilitator or teaching via virtual tools. And I'm wondering what advice and guidance can you provide about how to be more effective in our virtual presence in our engagement and in our communication.
1: When the pandemic started, what kept going through my head was, I have a face for radio and now I've gotta be a television star. (laughs) And, And that's not a good thing and that's not a good place to be. But one of the lucky things that happened to me early in my career is I was media trained when I worked for Intel. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky enough to kind of have that exposure of what does it take to to be on television and know how to talk to the media. In those cases, I was mostly talking to journalists. Mm-hmm. But so teaching became the same way. So I tried to create an environment in my home office that felt a little bit like a television studio and a little bit like what it was like in front of the classroom. So mm-hmm. I made sure that I could be standing up that I could almost be pacing a little bit. I got a high resolution camera with a slightly wider angle. I got studio lighting. I decorated uh, my office behind me with Stanford gear. Took down pictures of my grandparents and my children and my <laughs> wife and put up, you know, Stanford banners and, the, and a picture of the oval. But tried to basically think like it was television. And when you think like it's television, you know, you don't try to just recreate what you did in the classroom. You know, you're trying to think about how do you call on people? How do you make it interactive? How do you think of them like a studio audience and, 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 and create that, that back and forth? The other thing is also bring energy. Like it's really hard because you're staring at the camera all damn day, right? You're not getting any of the softer skills of people laughing. You're not getting things like, you know, people looking confused or getting angry. And so you've got to try to kind of create those ways that you can kind of bring energy and kind of look over Sometimes you'll have to sneak a a, a look at one of your screens and like you crack a joke is are people smiling? Right. right, RP, do you do you get kind of the ha-ha, that's a funny dad joke, right? Or it's a really bad dad joke. Do they roll their eyes the way your kids are supposed to roll your eyes at you? So I think it's that notion of trying to fit into the medium and be fit into that context of the medium, but also bringing trying to bring some energy and bring some fun. And it is hard to do, right? Like I will often drink a couple of uh, cups of coffee before I start teaching just to kind of put myself in that mindset of I've got to bring energy because if I'm not feeling energy, I guarantee you the students aren't feeling energy.
0: All of us have become mini TV producers and directors. And I know for a fact, when you walked me through some of the technology that we've had the opportunity to use, one of your mantras was you have to practice. And and I think that is what has helped make you a better communicator. It has certainly helped make me a better communicator to, to actually do like a dress rehearsal, as you would if you were doing a TV show, to really understand the flow, to understand the timing, to make sure you can integrate the technology. And that notion of energy and a little caffeine to help doesn't hurt. I, I like to do some quick exercise before I do a big lecture just to get my energy up the problem is unlike drinking caffeine I always start sweating but the point is (laughs) you want to have some energy so that's great advice that's great advice um, I want to talk specifically about your Industrialist's Dilemma class because it is super popular among our students. And for those who don't have the opportunity to take the class, I'm wondering if you can share what your goal is for the class, along with one or two key takeaways that uh, can help all of us derive value. Um, and if, it, if one of the things you mention happens to have communication in it, I'll give you extra credit.
1: <laughs> I need the extra credit. Yes. My grades are really bad. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I was not a good student. So, so the industrial dilemma looked specifically at in a world that blends physical and digital. How do you change how you develop products, and how do you change how you organize the company? And then changing products, like a lot of the things that we used to do. Well, even when I ran my division of GE, you know how you thought about, you know uh, how you ran QA, how you were, you know six sigma efficiencies about how you made sure that you were you know decisions were made hierarchically and he had to flip that on its head there were times you need to be agile there were times that you would want to you know push decision making authority down to the people closest to the customer how instead of using intuition to make decisions you would have to actually use data and so the class explores how uh, incumbents are changing and adapting and bringing in some of the new capabilities and technologies into their business. And by the same token, also how disruptors were not only bringing new ways of doing things, but also learning from you know, some of the best practices from incumbents who had been around a long time. And we looked at industries you know, from healthcare to financial services to mobility. Really, there's not an industry not being disrupted, retail, et cetera. And I think the key takeaway from the class is that one of the key takeaways was you know, incumbents are not doomed and disruptors are not ordained, Mm. that really leadership has the ability to, whether you're you're in an existing organization that's been around for a long time, or you're in one of these upstarts, you have the ability to drive leadership and change into your organization and be successful, and that leaders can have a big impact on it, but you're going to have to adapt to the best of both worlds. And I would say that, that, you know, from a communication standpoint, one of the things that we see saw great leaders and these leaders, you know, CEOs on down was they had what was called a product manager mindset Hmm. and a great product manager understands customers, understands how to make a product and understands how to work with sales to separate customers from their money. And I think a (laughs) great, you know, product manager's mindset is, is one of the things you have to be do is you have to be a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. Like you have to own your narrative. And, and and I think one of the best people I ever saw in that was Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. And what Brian did that I thought was always so spectacular is he talked about Target's message. And he talked about what Target was trying to do and how Target was trying to transform. And then he always asked the students questions about, you know, what was their Target experience like? Where did it work and where did it not work? And he was genuinely interested in what they had to say. And so it was not just that he communicated well, but he listened well and then, you know, would kind of say back what he heard from them. And he seemed genuinely interested in caring what these students, you know, what their experience was like in Target. So Brian was one of the best at it. And he really had what I would say was a great product manager's mindset. And he was a great storyteller.
0: So, again, this notion of being able to craft a narrative and own a narrative uh, comes through loud and clear. And I really appreciate the fact that that you highlight that communication, we tend to think is is what we say, but listening is as important, if not in many cases more important in the communication dynamic. And, and to remind us of that is a, is a great gift. And we all have to remember that we have to listen to better understand what's needed of us and how we can best help and hone our messages. So thank you for that. I'd like to ask you the same three questions I ask everyone who joins me. Are you up for that? Absolutely. All right. If you were to capture the best communication advice you had ever received as a five to seven word presentation slide title, what would it be?
1: Use the pyramid strategy of communication.
0: Aha. Okay. You get to, you get to teach in a very short amount of time the pyramid principle.
1: Um, give answer first, especially when you're dealing with more senior people in your organization, give them the answer, be succinct. And if the person to whom you're talking to wants more information, let them pull you down and then you can give more and more information. But you know, when someone asks you the time, don't tell them how to make a clock.
0: There you go. That's one of my favorite sayings. Excellent. Very good. Uh, who is a communicator that you admire and why?
1: I'm going to date myself here. I think the my favorite communicator was Ronald Reagan, and and Reagan. What I always loved about Reagan is he had the ability to inspire. Mm-hmm. He would talk about idea, ideas that he thought were timeless, and he had the ability not only to use humor and to tell stories, but all, to almost to get all of us to appeal to our better angels. And I and as I look at politicians and the like, and so much of it, especially in the discourse today, it seems so. Uh, harsh and it seems so divisive. And, and if you go back and look at some of Reagan's speeches, you know even people who didn't agree with you know, his philosophies, he was just an amazing communicator. And you always kind of felt like uh, he was trying to take us to a better place. Uh, even if you disagreed with, with his point of view, you never doubted his sincerity and his desire uh, to try to have a positive impact
0: clearly a, a good, uh, somebody who was an excellent communicator. In fact, uh, the great communicator as he was known. And, and cl- it was a blending of empathy, authenticity, and focus, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the first three ingredients that go into a successful communication
1: recipe? I would say, number one, a clear takeaway, like mm-hmm. get your message out concisely. Number two, showing general interest and enthusiasm for your topic and you can't just be on autopilot and finally if you can provide insights that are not obvious if people can walk away uh thinking oh i learned something or that made me think that will actually keep people wanting to come back for more
0: Absolutely. And you have provided us with many aha moments. And thank you, Rob, so much. Uh, Certainly, you did not disappoint. Uh, You provided us with very specific, relevant guidance and advice. And uh, I just wish that you could have had a little more energy and passion behind what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, I just wish it were there. Uh, and I truly wish you good luck on the launch of your book, The Brains and Brawn Company, How Leading Organizations Blend the Digital and the Physical. I have read it and know that our listeners will take away many useful, actionable insights. Thanks so much, Rob, for spending time with me.
1: Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. And I really love the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast, a production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. To learn more, go to gsb.stanford.edu. Please download other episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, Matt here. For most of us, presenting confidently and clearly in our native language is hard enough, but communicating in another language is marked by unique challenges and opportunities for growth. I am super excited to share our new ELL English Language Learning webpage at fastersmarter.io/ELL. This page is designed to help all non-native English speakers feel less anxious while being more authentic and successful in their communication. In addition to practical advice, you will find Think Fast, Talk Smart episode-specific ELL content along with links to my favorite English language learning podcast playlist. Please check out fastersmarter.io slash ell.